Well, good morning, good morning. So good to see you this morning. Welcome to those online as well. Hey, I just got a message um, that O.L. Smith was placed on hospice. And so I just, I wanted to kind of just stop for just a moment and let's, let's go to God in prayer um, just on behalf of O.L. and his family. Father, we thank you so much for this day. And Father, for all the ways that you show us your goodness and your faithfulness. And Father, we pray today for O.L. Father, we pray for your spirit to give him strength right now during this time. Father, for not, not just for him, but for his family as well. And Father, as we just sang, we, we all long for that day where we do sing the hymn of heaven and where we see you face to face. And so, Father, we pray for your peace and presence right now in O.L.'s life. And we trust you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start with a question this morning. What makes you anxious? Just, just think for just a moment. What is it that makes you anxious? If you're younger, it might be grades, it might be friendships and making friends. If you're a little older, it might be raising kids. If you're a lot older, it might be just change and, and how fast-paced the world has become. I, I've kind of noticed this. As, for me, it's a joke, but I've always been like the technology person, and I have loved technology. And now, um, I thankfully, we have KT on staff. Um, and we have Gracie in my house. And so I have tech support in two places that I'm spending most of my time. Because I, I need help a lot with how technology works. And I feel like I'm pretty good with technology. But things change so fast and so rapid and it's so difficult to keep up. And maybe that causes anxiety for you. Maybe it's um, a diagnosis. Maybe it's a marriage or a marriage that's struggling. But I think all of us struggle with anxiety. And what I've noticed is as my age increases, my anxieties change. Correct? The things that made you anxious when you were 9 and 10 probably are not the same things that make you anxious when you're 40. And are probably still not the same things that make you anxious when you're 80. It, it changes. As our context changes, as our culture changes, anxiety becomes more and more real. And all of us, every single person in here, deal with anxiety. And so if you think, well, that's just, just me, just know you're not in this alone. Every single person. And so we're in this series from 1 Peter, and today is the last week of it. And he's talking to these churches throughout Asia Minor, what's modern-day Turkey, who are facing persecution. They're facing really difficult times because of their faith in Jesus. They're, they're facing really difficult times, and they're facing persecution for their faith. And I'm sure the anxiety is really real. That if we're going to continue to follow Jesus, if we're going to continue, we're going to face more and more difficulties in life. I think it's something all of us can relate to. 
where this church is. And maybe while their persecution might be more physical and the, the possibility of going to prison or being beaten or possibly even killed, and, and we can say, well, we don't really deal, but we deal with different kinds of persecution, different kinds of things that challenge our faith as followers of Jesus. And so, excuse me, wow, it usually goes right here. And the TV's not working, and so I'll, I'll try. First Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears to you, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So there's this, this Greek word that shows up here, presbyteros, and it, it means elder. But, but one of the things that was really fascinating to me as, we were, as I was kind of reading through this, this passage, um, the word presbyteros, I've always imagined or thought was a noun. But it's not a noun, it's an adjective. It's a descriptive term. He, he says, to the elders, and he uses this adjective. And, and Timothy does the same thing. It's not this proper noun, it's description. And what he encourages them to do is to shepherd the flock, which is a verb. And so this idea is it's very action-oriented. It's not just someone who's older and wise, although that's kind of what he's talking about here. It is to you who've kind of grown up in the faith and are a little bit further along in the journey. I'm guessing when Peter is writing this, he's probably around 50 to 60 years old. And so he's looking and he's talking as this person who's persevered and who's gone through really difficult times with Jesus. Right? This is the one who was with Jesus and said, I'm not going to deny you. And then the moment comes and he turns his back on Jesus. And he says, I, I don't know who he is. And he's also the same one who is invited again to follow Jesus along the shore. And so Peter's experienced really difficult moments in his faith. And he's writing to these churches saying, hey, I've been where you are. And I've been through really difficult times. And I've persevered. And I want you to continue. And so he writes to these older people in the church saying, you're elders, you're older, you've been in this longer, and you've persevered, and you have so much wisdom through that that you can bring to other people. And so it's not just this age distinction. It's a maturity in the faith distinction. 
And he tells them, I want you to be elders, this descriptive word, wise men. And I think probably in this context, probably women too. So like, like Titus says, the older women need to teach the younger women. Right? And, and so he's not referring to like this title, this proper noun position. In fact, the only place he actually uses it as a noun is when he says the chief shepherd, who is Jesus. But everywhere else it's this adjective. And what he wants them to do is this verb. Like, I want you who are more mature in the faith to look behind you and encourage those who are coming along behind you because life is really difficult. And if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, it's even more difficult. Because there are times when you need people who have been further along on the journey than you have to point out where you're going and to encourage you and to help you in this journey. You were never intended to do this alone. And so his first appeal is to these shepherds, to these elders, to these leaders saying, hey, I want you to watch over. And then he gives them some nots, right? Not because you must, not out of greed for money, not in a place where you're lording it over those that have been entrusted to you, and then he says, but you must be willing to serve, or willing to do that, eager to serve, and, and not in this high capacity, but literally willing to get your hands dirty and serve the people that you're leading. Right? And then be examples to the flock. Like this is your job, this is your role if you have been on this journey longer than other people. Like you're supposed to have this level of maturity. And it's not about a title. It's about a function. It's about what you have been called to do, to lead. See, and this is what I've always kind of thought that, that elder or shepherd shouldn't have been a noun anyway. I think it's supposed to be a verb. I think we're supposed to see people doing that and leading in that. And then we say, okay, well, then you're a shepherd. You're an elder. To those men who, who really do have that gift and have been shepherding people. It's not just simply calling someone out and saying, you're older, you're wise, you're a good businessman, or, or whatever, come be an elder. It's saying, no, you already are shepherding the flock of God. And so we're going to give you that title. Right? That, that's kind of how it works in our context. But, but here it's a little different. He's talking to these basically house churches that are scattered throughout the Roman Empire in, in what was Asia Minor. Who are going through really difficult times. And he said, you need to listen. Because the very next thing he's going to tell is the younger ones, we want you to submit to those older ones, to those ones who have been in this journey longer than you have. Right? Continue to follow Jesus, and your example as the shepherd is the chief shepherd. Right? Throughout this entire letter, he's continued to root our identity and the identity of these believers 
back into Christ. That everything you do should look like Christ. Right? That's, a, that's a pretty lofty goal. That's a pretty big expectation. But you as a follower of Jesus should resemble Him. And as shepherds, you resemble that chief shepherd. You're, you're willing to get down and wash feet. You're willing to serve. You're willing to share and give out of your life for the good of the community and the body of Christ. And, and when you do that, as he says, here's the things, don't do it because of these reasons, but do it because of these reasons. It's because your motives matter. Your motives matter. Why you do what you do matters. And you can think, well, why, why do the motives matter? It doesn't matter to the people that we're serving, right? It doesn't matter if you're serving someone and you're giving them food. They don't really care what your motives are. They just care that they were hungry and now they're getting food. But the reason the motives matter is not to the people that you're serving, but your motives matter for you. Because it's so easy for our motives to go unchecked and them to just simply become about us. And boosting our pride and power to that we're in a place where we have control and we have power over people. Or people can see our intellect in this position. Your motives matter to you as a follower of Jesus. Because if your motives are not right in doing what you're doing, if they aren't right, you're going to continue to look less and less like Jesus. And the whole point of you being in that role as a leader is to lead the people you are leading more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And the hope is that they would see that in you. See, I think one of the biggest roles of the leader, and I think in our context today especially, I would say for their context as well, one of the most important roles of the leader, and I think the reason that he picks out these people who are older and wiser and further along in the faith is because your role is to bring a non-anxious presence to the community of faith. There's plenty to be anxious about. But one thing I've, I've noticed, and, and I, I found this true with my dad. Right? He, he was further along on this journey of faith than I was. And there were times that I would call him really anxious or, or nervous about something. And, and no matter how old he was, right, he was further along than I was. And he was able to say, no, no, it's going to be okay. I, I think I told you all one time, when I was an, a grad assistant for, at Harding, my last year, um, I got to school, and I got a check in the mail for some type of grant. It was like $4,000 they gave me. 
And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. You gave me a $4,000 check. I didn't apply for it. They just gave it to me. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to pay for all my, my bills and get all this stuff taken care of. And like a week into school, they called me and said, hey, um, we can't really find the application um, that you submitted. And I was like, well, I, I didn't submit one. Y'all just gave it to me. I thought this was a really cool deal. And they said, um, yeah, we're going to need that money back. And I'm telling you, like as a 23-year-old, like $4,000 is a ton of money. I mean, it's a ton of money now. But it's, back then, it was a really ton of money. And I, I called my dad, and I was like, hey, um, this grant they gave me, I wasn't supposed to get it. And I'll never forget, my dad just said, hey, it'll be okay. We'll figure it out. And that meant more. He, he didn't have to say, hey, here's a plan. Here's how we're going to. He just said, it's going to be okay. Right? And, and we need people at times in our life who can say that. My, my, my wife is really good. I didn't even tell her I was going to pick on her. Um, I think she's really good with younger moms when kids are misbehaving in church just to say, it's okay. And, and the reason I think she's good at that is because people told her that. Right? Because as kid, like when you're a parent and your kid's like screaming in church and you think you're the only one, first of all, let me just tell you, if we ever go to a church where there's not crying and screaming kids in church, like we have a serious problem, we should probably just change what we're doing. Like there should be, your kids should be acting up in church, and I'm okay with that. Don't ever feel bad about that. But, but moms, I know it feels good to have an older lady in our church come up to you and say, hey, hang in there, it's going to be okay. Dads, to have another a grandfather figure come up and say, hey, I know it's really difficult right now raising kids. It's going to be okay. It, it means a lot, and we need that. And I think that's what, what Peter is getting at. But if your motives are wrong, you will fail miserably at pointing them in the right direction. So he says this in verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to the elders, to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves in humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand so that he may lift you up in due time. You remember a couple weeks ago we talked about submit. It's the divine calling of a Christian to honor and affirm those in a place of leadership. It's this humble position of saying, hey, I'm going to honor and affirm you. And so he says to the younger, we want you to submit to those people in that place. It's people who are further along in the journey and people who have wisdom and who bring a lot to the table because what they have been through. He says, humble yourselves. And, and humility is an attitude, right? right? A couple... Weeks ago, um, arm yourselves with the attitude of Christ, that attitude of humility. Or like Paul says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Humility is an attitude. It's being able to place yourself underneath 
someone. Right? But human nature does not move us more and more towards humility. Correct? Like human nature does not make you more and more humble. It, it tends to make us more and more prideful. Like as we start to get better at what we do, we start to get pretty prideful. As we start to make more and more money, we start to get more and more prideful. It does not push us in the opposite direction. And so that's the point of having those people around us that are continually helping to push us back towards humility. My wife thinks that's her job, is to push me further and further towards humility. But that's not human nature. We don't move in that direction naturally. We want to go the other way. So then he says in verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So here's a question. What's the connection between humility and anxiety? He tells you to humble yourselves before God. And then he tells you to take all your anxiety and give it to Jesus. So I'm guessing there's some type of connection. Listen to what he says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. See, here's the thing. If you live a Christ-like life, it will breed anxiety. If you live a life that is self-sacrificial and puts the needs of other people above yourself, it will naturally breed anxiety because we're concerned about ourselves and we're concerned about safety. There's this God-given natural instinct to, to take care of and protect ourselves. And so to say, I'm going to serve and I'm going to put your needs in front of my needs and I'm going to do some things that might not be really safe for me because I'm serving you is going to put you in a place where you're anxious. He, he does not say stop being anxious. But instead he gives you something to do with that anxiety. Right? Think about all the anxiety they were facing. Like, I mean, you walk outside or, or you gather as the people of God and you could face persecution because of the name that you bear. And that's not even talking about just normal day-to-day -day anxiety of raising and, and being a family and having kids. We face these anxious moments all day. The fear of things going wrong coupled with our expectation that life is going to be easy or at least comfortable. We know it's not true, but we want it to be. And we face difficult times and we think something is wrong. I want you to notice something, though. Anxiety 
is not the enemy. Anxiety is an emotion. And you don't get to choose that I'm not going to experience this emotion. We all have it. And as we said earlier, it changes as you age. It changes as our context changes, as our culture changes. So he says to your anxiety and to your fear, it's not just get rid of it. It doesn't belong. It doesn't have a place. Instead, here's what you do with it. Because we have this this feeling, I think, that fear and faith don't mix. But fear is the catalyst for faith. Faith does not begin until we are in a place where we're uncertain. To a place we're not sure of. Faith does not begin until we're in a place where we're having to trust someone other than ourselves to provide for us and to protect us. So here's how you deal with your anxiety. He says, cast it upon Jesus. So when I was in, um, I guess, my second or third year at Preston Crest, um, we had taken the, the teenagers on a backpacking trip on Wilderness Trek. And we had a group of like three guys who were all seniors in high school. And they were flying up the mountain. Of course, we have the big heavy packs, backpacking packs, and we're going. And so we have some younger kids who probably their backpack weighs more than them. And they're struggling. They're, they're not making it. And these older kids are flying up the mountain, and they're not worrying about what's going on behind them. And so finally, we got about two miles from where our high camp was. And we said, hey, we're going to gather up, and we're going to trade packs with people so that you can feel what it feels like to carry someone else's weight. Now, the only people that had bigger packs than these high school boys were three of us adults. And we had packs that weighed probably about... 20 more pounds than them. And so before we gathered up and told them we're going to switch packs, we kind of gathered ourselves off the trail a little bit. And we found some rather large rocks. <laughs> and we added about 20 pounds to each of our packs. If any of those kids are watching right now, they're finding this out for the first time. I doubt they are. But... They, they put on their packs, and they're just like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize what other people were going. It was perfect, right? It, it was perfect. It proved the point that there are other people who are going through really difficult things. Because they had more in there than they really could handle. And, of course, being 18, they weren't going to tell us it was too much. They were going to struggle through it. They were going to make it to the top. It was just going to be really difficult. But there was a lot in there they were carrying that made it really difficult for them. I want to show you, Caleb, can you come help me? Here's a backpack. I want you to put it on. There's already a little bit of weight in there, okay? But all of us have things that make us anxious. Right? There, there's lots of things that that make us anxious. Um, for some, it might be finances or raising kids. It might be a situation at work. Maybe it's making friends or 
school. Tell me when that starts to get really heavy. Maybe it's losing someone. Maybe it's losing someone that was close to you. How you doing? Good? You got this? Okay. And what those emotions do is they start to weigh us down. Is that getting pretty heavy? Yeah. <laughs> but the word that he says, um, eperito is in the Greek. It means to cast or throw, right? It means to cast or throw. Caleb would love to cast or throw this back off, right? But what the word really means, like the literal meaning, is to place responsibility for. So it's Caleb saying, hey, I'm giving this to you. You're responsible for this pack. So you can give it to me. And what I'm going to do, because I'm taking the responsibility for it, is now I'm going to carry it for you. Okay? Thank you. To place responsibility for this on someone else. I'll tell you, this is pretty heavy. <laughs> but some of the things that we carry around with us every day, they're pretty heavy. Some of the things you deal with. And when we ask that question, what does humility and anxiety have to do with one another? How are they connected? Most of us struggle to have the humility to say this is too heavy. See, most of us, we've grown up in a world where you just smile and say, no, I'm okay. I'm fine. I've got this. But humility is saying, I cannot handle this load. It's too much. And I am placing the responsibility for it upon you. See, to do that requires a tremendous amount of trust. It requires a tremendous amount of trust that the person you're placing the responsibility on their shoulders is strong enough to handle it. That they can take care of it. And so he says to those people, now be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. He says that there's this lion who is seeking to devour. And I noticed, I was going to show you a video clip, but they were really, really intense, that there's been several videos posted recently of people being stalked by mountain lions. And the, the reason it's crazy is because they have their cell phones out 
recording this lion coming at them. Right? It's pretty, pretty insane. That's like, that's not what I would be thinking if I see a lion stalking me. Hey, I should probably record this so everyone can see the day I died. But they're recording, and, and they had an interview with this park ranger and said, if you ever see a lion, you should stay calm, be still, and make eye contact. Again, cell phone, calm, not what I'm thinking. But, but what he describes is this, this lion who is prowling around seeking for someone to devour. You want to, I think one of the most powerful ways he does that today in our world is through this. You're fine. It's okay. You can handle it. You don't need anyone else to help. until we're crushed under the weight of it. And we can't stand. I don't know about you, but there are times where I feel the pressure because of my position, because of my life and my place in life and my family to just say, no, it's okay. I got it. And what he says is take all that anxiety, all of it, and place the responsibility upon the one who is strong enough to handle it. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. And to this church, he says, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Okay. The God of all grace. The God of all grace who has given you all grace and called you to be stewards of that grace. May you stand firm and steadfast as you follow Jesus. As we begin to, to move towards communion, the beauty of this table is that we sit around a table with one who is mighty to save and has invited you to join him 